I would like to apologize in advance for the sound quality of this episode. I'm learning a new program. Thank you so much for listening to Crimeany, and we hope you enjoy the show. Crimeany. I've diagnosed some people. I think it's been pretty accurate. Definitely done my fair share of psychiatry work. I've prescribed a few pills. Crimeany. for the things that come out of our mouths. We are not experts, although we may claim to be, so don't take anything that we say too literally. We are not laughing at the crimes, we are laughing at each, each other. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Crimeany. We're your hosts, Matt and Ange. And we are here once again to <laughs> shoved, nope, not shove. To fill your ears with horrible, horrible stories. Surprise, we're back again. <laughs> if you thought this was the Kittens podcast, back out now. Kittens? We Aww. could turn it into the Kittens podcast. We both I'd, love I'd, kitties. Yeah, I'd be okay with that. We've got plenty of cat stories, I'm sure, between mm. the two of us. Mm. Speaking of, you know how mom's like, oh, if you get Toby a collar with a bell... It will, like, prevent him from catching anything. He's strutting around, no bell noise at all. He's fat, figured out how to swagger he with He makes the... it not jingle. What the fuck? Yeah, this cat is, like, next level sneaky snake. He's a predator. He's an absolute terror predator. <sighs> but he's so cute. <laughs> I thought they'd I get you. I know. Okay. Anyway, so I'm going to take a video and send it to mom of him, like, strutting around silently. Right now? No, of course oh. not. Oh, <laughs> you're like, hang on, i got to take a video. <laughs> Real quick, i got to find my cat and make him walk. waddle walk <laughs> on the catwalk. Oh. On the catwalk, yeah. Strut, my little, my little turn, turn on the catwalk. catwalk. Okay. Yeah. We should well, probably get to it. <laughs> get to it. So... I just wanted to say a little bit about, uh, because it is still Black History Month, and I think that it's important to remind ourselves of some of the victims of police brutality in the past few years, okay. and um, I wanted to do a case on one of them this week, one of the victims this week, but I... I I mean, they're all just so tragic, and I couldn't pick just one. I didn't feel that 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 was uh, doing it justice. Like, I wanted, I, I want, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying, but, like. It's, like, a lot bigger than any one yeah, person it's, it's can. Yeah, it's the big picture, and, like, every e each person is equally as important, and I didn't yes. want to just highlight just one person. And obviously, I can't highlight every single person because mm -hmm. there's just not enough time oh in God. the world. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, so I just wanted to, like, before I did my case, just take a minute and kind of read some of their names and a little bit about a, a few of them or a little bit about what happened mm -hmm. to a few of them. Just because I think it's important, and I think peop 
people need to keep hearing about it because something needs to happen and nothing is happening fast enough to end this violence. Yeah. Yeah, it just seems like it's getting worse. Yeah. So I'm going to just like say, you know, talk about just a handful of them really quick before we get started. Rayshard Brooks was 27. He had fallen asleep in his car um, blocking the drive through of a uh, fast food place. So uh, police were called and they spoke to him for about 40 minutes. And then they told him that he was too drunk to drive. And then they attempted to restrain him. And he, you know, obviously freaked out. People are trying to restrain him. And he fled. And they shot him twice in the back. As he's running away. As he's running away. 27. Because he fell asleep in a car. I just feel like even if he was drunk, like, he was doing the right thing. Like, sleeping. Yeah. In the car. Like, you're supposed to sleep it off or whatever. Yeah. They Well, they had no right to, to shoot him. And they couldn't just, like, knock on the window and be like, you need to park out of the way. Or anything. I don't know. And, and wh- why like 40 any minutes? any number wha- of ways to, like, solve that problem in, like, a constructive way. Yeah. They pulled a gun out instead mm. of, like, trying to do it's other so ways fucking, like, to restrain it. Uh, okay. Then there's Daniel Prude, who was 41, and he was <clears throat> he was having a mental emergency yeah. at 3 a.m., and cops restrained him and put a spit hood over his head and then what? put their entire body weight on his head. <sighs> he told the officers that they were killing him, but they just put more weight on him, and he died as of asphyxiation. Like, how is not mental health training yeah. a major yeah. part of their training? They're first responders. How it's are they not, like, equipped the to handle... The police should not be called for mental health issues they well, do not they are though they need I know, to be trained first, on exactly. how to like de-escalate a situation how to like make someone feel comfortable and not terrified yeah how to get someone to safety <sighs> and yeah it's fucked up mm-hmm. um george floyd was 46 and allegedly he was trying to use a 20 dollar counterfeit bill allegedly Cops restrained him for using a, a twenty, you know, counterfeit bill. Restrained him, cuffed him on the ground, and then Officer Derek Chauvin knelt on his neck for eight minutes and forty six seconds. That's so dumb. Over eight, twenty dollars. Eight minutes, and he pled with them to get off because he couldn't breathe, and they just didn't listen, and they fucking they murdered like, him. They couldn't like handcuff him and stand him up in that time. No. Like, if no. that's what they're, what were they trying to do? He fucking had his knee in his neck. Mm. And you know he was putting his body weight on it. Brianna Taylor was just 26, and she was home with her boyfriend sleeping when the three plainclothes officers barged in without identifying themselves. So, of course, her boyfriend thinks someone is intruding, and he it's stands terrifying. his ground and fires a shot. And the cops shot Brianna eight times. They were, the cops were at the wrong house. And she was in bed, sleeping. And she was sleeping. And he was just defending their house. How is that a threat? How are you not going to identify yourself, first of all? Mm-hmm. Second of all, how hard is it to get the address right? Mm-hmm. Our postal workers do it every fucking day. <laughs> like, <laughs> come on. Yeah. Oh, it's just, like, infuriating. There's just, like, no end to the anger. Yeah. And just, I, like, the what the fuck. Exactly. A Tatiana Jefferson was 28 when a police officer shot and killed her through the window of her home 
in front of her eight-year-old nephew. The police were responding to a call from a neighbor who reported that a Tatiana's front door was open. So they're doing like an, a, a welfare check check type thing. So they shoot through the window first. So they shot, her, murdered her through her own window because her door was open. How does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. No, none of this makes any sense. Stefan Clark was 22 when officers say he was holding a gun and pointing it at them, so they shot him over 20 times. He was holding a cell phone. Also, okay, like, if someone is holding a gun and you feel threatened, why don't you shoot them in the leg or shoot them in the arm that's holding the gun? Like, what? Like, oh. Mm-hmm. Ooh, 20 like, times. 20 yeah, times. That just doesn't make it any sense on any plane of existence that makes no. absolutely no sense how that's an appropriate reaction to like a trained a trained anyone mm-hmm. if you're trained in like firearms also there's like no training the, there's no how are they shooting that many times yeah do they have to reload like what's going on if there are four un- cops un- that's five shots per cop it's inexcusable that's insane I- insane yes Botham Jean was 26 when he was shot and killed in his own apartment when an off-duty officer mistook his apartment for hers and thought that he was an, a dangerous intruder in her home. How are you going to get your own address wrong? Right? And you're and a you trained officer. Well, Aren't you trained to like, de-escalate that situation? Sorry, you but go like, in your house. you get the address wrong. You open the First of all, I don't know how the door opened, but you open the door and you see that none of that shit is yours. Maybe you leave. Or you open that door. Maybe you, like, just moved, whatever. You go into your house. Why wouldn't you be like, oh, hey, what are you doing in my house? Nope. Like, she she shot and murdered him in his own You're home. You're, like, a police officer. You're supposed to be trained in, like, de-escalating situations. They're You're not trained, trained at all in anything. Well, they're trained in military tactics where right. it's, like, shoot or be killed. Shoot or be shot. And kill these certain people. Kill everyone because it's a life or death situation all the time, even when you're dealing with people in their own home yeah, who are asleep, yeah, who are mm-hmm. clearly a threat to you. Yep. Like, if you're that trigger happy, find something else to do. Don't be a police officer. Philando Castile, he was 32. After a traffic stop, Philando informed the officer that he had a legal firearm and seconds after informing the officer, he was gunned down in front of his girlfriend and her four-year-old child. Oh, my God. For what? Th- who knows? Oh, my God. Alton Sterling was 37 when two officers confronted him outside a shop where he sold CDs and DVDs. They tasered him and pinned him to the ground before they shot him six times. An officer could be heard in the video footage calling Alton a stupid motherfucker over and over again. Janisha Fonville t- was only 20 when officers responded yet again to a mental health call mm. to take her to a mental health facility. The officers say they thought she had a knife, so they shot and killed her. Her partner, who was present, said that she did not have a knife and there was no knife found near Janisha's body after she was murdered. Even if she did have a knife, oh, well, you are you like might get cut, but you could disarm her pretty easily. They're like ways to take a knife away from someone. Yeah. And also, like, why are they not assessing the situation? Why are they not like using their eyeballs to be like, oh, actually, that cell phone 
isn't a gun after all. It's just a cell phone. Or, oh, wait, look, her hands are empty. She has nothing in her hands. Those like, are excuses for just straight-up murder. Uh, they have to claim that they were defending themselves. Eric Gardner was 43 when Officer Daniel Pantaleo, Pantaleo held Eric in a chokehold, and he would not release Eric from the chokehold despite him saying that he could not breathe and be and begging to be let go. He died from asphyxiation. His crime? Possibly selling loose cigarettes. Murdered because he might have been selling loose cigarettes. Well, Is let's be honest. Crime? Murdered because he was black. A K. Gurley was 28 when police officer Peter Liang and his partner were conducting a vertical patrol in a housing project. Officer Liang entered an unlit stairwell and randomly just fired his gun and the bullet bounced off a wall and killed Akai. Uh -oh. Tamir Rice was just 12 years old. He was being a kid playing in the park with his sister, and he had a toy gun. I mean, how many of us had toy guns? Within two seconds of arriving at the park, Officer Timothy Lohman fatally shot Tamir and then tackled his 14-year-old sister and threw her in the back of the cop car. It took four minutes for officers to administer first aid on Tamir, and he died in the hospital the following day. Michael Brown was 18. He was walking with a friend when an officer, for no reason, confronted him and then shot and killed him. The officer says that he acted in self-defense. Tanisha Anderson was 37 when her family called 911 for help because Tanisha, who was bipolar, was having an episode. Two officers convinced Tanisha that she should return to a mental facility, and as she was walking to the cop car, she was slammed to the ground by the officers and handcuffed for over 21 minutes before they called an ambulance. But by that time, she had died. And uh, there's like so many more. Of, I'll just I'm just going to read off some names. Everyone should look into all of them and all the ones that I don't say because everyone's equally as important. Vincent Belmonte, Patrick Lynn Warren Sr., Andre Maurice Hill, Casey Christopher Goodson Jr., Angelo Crooms, Sincere Pierce, Marcellus Stinnett, Jonathan Dwayne Price, Dijon Durand Kizzee, Carlos Carson, David McAtee, Tony McDade, Dreesen Reed, Michael Brent Charles Ramos, Manuel Elijah Ellis, William Howard Green, John Elliot Neville, Elijah McLean, Ronald Green, Javier Ambler, Sterling Lamprey Higgins, Gregory Lloyd Edwards, Amantic Fitzgerald Bradford Jr., Charles Roundtree Jr., Chinadu Okobi, Anton Milbert LaRue Black, Antoine Rose Jr., Sahid Vassal, Dennis Plowden Jr., Bijan Geyser. I wish I could say every name of every black or brown person whose life has been cut short because of bigotry, lack of empathy, and lack of training when it comes to police officers. We need reform. We need a change. This cannot keep going on. Something needs to change. We need a better response to mental health calls. We need to end racial profiling and systematic racism. No person should be afraid to ask for help or even just go about their daily activities without the fear of being gunned down because of the color of their skin by the very officers that we as taxpayers are paying for. You know, I think we need to end funding to the, this militant group of murderers. We need 
to do something. No more slaps on the wrist or just reassigning the officers who murdered human beings for no reason other than the color of their skin. Like, maybe we should just take the guns away from the cops because they obviously can't handle them. They do not have training on when and how to use them unless it's part of their training to just open fire on innocent people based on the color of their skin. So I think we can't stand by and let them take over and murder people. You know, we're the United States, which is a huge melting pot, and we should be embracing our differences as people and using it to learn from one another and become stronger, more knowledgeable people. So I think we need to stand up and say no more hate, no more othering. We are all humans, and... We only have a very short time on this earth as it is, so we don't have time for hate and bigotry or for people who are assholes to cut other people's lives short. Let's embrace love and acceptance and diversity in all human beings and try to fucking end this violence. I'm so angry that I'm just going to tell you about a fucked up dude <laughs> named Joel Michael Guy Jr. I say so. okay now, knowing how your stories usually go, so... Well... This entitled piece of shit, <laughs> we're going to call him Junior throughout the, uh, throughout my story because his dad is the same name, so to con prevent mm. confusion, I'm just going to call him Junior because also okay. he's just, yeah, he's a Junior. Junior, he's one of those, <laughs> if you look up pictures of him, he's like super creepy looking. He's one of those people that like his eyes are open so wide you can see the whites around the iris. You know how creepy that looks, especially when you can see the tops of the whites of the eyes. Like he's just holding them open? It looks like it. Like it's, and that's like his natural look. I just feel like your eyes would get so dry. I, I mean, he might be a lizard person, so. Mm. So Junior was born on March 13th of 1988 to parents Joel Michael Sr. and Lisa Guy in Tennessee, now, this Joel. might get some hate, but recently mom informed us that her grandfather used to say that people born in March are a little bit crazy. <laughs> and then we had to remind her that she married someone born in March. And then she said, point in case. <laughs> <laughs> case in point. Oh, God damn it. I'm so <laughs> dyslexic. Belt seats and all. <sighs> it's it, Yeah. I got to read it backwards in my mind. No offense, all you Marchies. You're fine. <laughs> Marchies. There's just something in the wind when you were born. <laughs> Can't help it. I, I guess. I don't know. Well, some of you can. <laughs> I'm sure this guy could help it. <laughs> I mean, he probably could if he wasn't such a fucking creep. Joel Sr. and Lisa were said to be the loves of each other's lives. They enjoyed anything that involved the other. Joel Sr. was a pipeline engineer designer, and Lisa was a full-time mom and then an accounts payable administrator at Jacobs Engineering in Oak Ridge. All right. They were both very kind and loving and compassionate people. Guy had Ooh. three daughters from a previous relationship, and they had Joel Jr. together. And they were... By all accounts, great parents who provided everything their children needed. Um, Junior's sisters described him as a bit of a recluse. He had graduated high school in 2006, and he tried a few different colleges, but like he couldn't really stick to any um, major. Colleges for everyone. But he attended 
about 10 years of college, just like oh. kind of taking classes, you know, here and there in, in Louisiana and Baton Rouge. I mean, I think it'd be fun to be like a career college student because yeah, you, you just like keep learning, <laughs> but it's so expensive. You can afford it. Well, hmm. How can you afford it? Uh-oh. Well, you see, Lisa had only been working her job so that she could pay for all of Junior's things. Because <gasps> the older girl, the other girls had moved out of the house, moved on, were having their own lives. Junior moved out, and he seemingly was having his own life, and he was going to college and everything in Louisiana, like I said. And she was footing the bill. Well, they were both footing the bill, but I guess the money basically came from her job. Okay. So, of course, it would make sense for Joel Sr. and Lisa to begin thinking of retirement, as they were both 55 and 61. That's so young. I okay. know. But they think <laughs> it's time to think about it, you know, sure. whatever. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like they were doing pretty well. Like I mean, they that's had the dream, right? Yeah. They could retire at 55. Yeah. Like, they had a, a nice house. Well, it seemed like she didn't necessarily have to work, because, like, his... If her son wasn't so... His retirement was going to be good enough for the both of them, and they were mm-hmm. planning on selling their house in Knoxville and buying something else in Hawks, Hawks, Hawkins County. But, um, yeah, so they were going to, like, downsize a little bit and just, mm-hmm. you know, Have retire. Have a little egg. Yeah. Right. Well, this would mean that Junior would be on his own because, you know, they want to re- enjoy their retirement without going bankrupt. And at the rate sure. that Junior was going... I mean, she had to work. I mean, she had to work a full-time job for him just to pay for his living expenses. Oh, she's like paying for everything. She's paying for everything. Yeah, he doesn't have a job. He's never had a job. She's literally just like, yeah. So career student. I mean, that sounds like good life (laughs) to me. (laughs) Well, I think he thought so too. Yeah. But then, um, yeah, and like during this time, so like this is 2016. Like I said, Junior was taking classes at Louisiana State University. Yeah. And he had been there for about a decade with his parents footing all his bills. He had never in his life held a job. So in these 10 years, he didn't, like, accumulate enough similar classes to get any degree? (laughs) I don't know. I think, like, you know, he was just taking a couple classes a semester maybe, and then he'd, like, not take a class one semester. And I don't know what he was doing. Probably a lot of computer things. He looks like he would be stuck in a room on a computer. With his big eyes. <laughs> I mean, I feel like once you're in school, just like, you know, slowly get a bunch of degrees. You could, but he did not. Oh, okay. At one point, I guess like towards the end of, well, the incident, mm-hmm. he decided that he wanted to be a plastic surgeon. Okay. And he was taking a real interest in chemistry and anatomy. Look, if I didn't get grossed out by, like, bodily <laughs> things, mm-hmm. I feel like plastic surgery would be, like, a great career. <laughs> it's just so, ooh. Uh, yeah, you can't be squeamish. Uh-uh. So Joel Sr. and Lisa decided that as part of their repi- retirement plan, you know, can't really pay for all junior stuff. So they decided that they were going to cut him off. And it's not clear if they actually told him when they were going to cut him off. I feel like in that situation, maybe, like, wean him off, you know? 
when you start the retirement talks, be like, hey, yeah, we're you'd think on you'd want to be like, soon. you should get a job like right now because maybe we're not going to be giving you money next month. Yeah, maybe you need to start like affording your living situation. We can't help you forever. You know, just like little hints at least, not just like. Yeah, it was unclear whether they had like when they had specified or if they had like. Well, maybe so one also maybe the whole time they're like they're kind of like, hey, we can't do this forever. Like they could have been telling him things like yeah, that. Yeah, maybe. Because on one source, they said that um they had decided not to tell him until around Christmas time, and then they were gonna be like leaving. Merry in two Christmas. Weeks, basically. No. Um, but they also apparently had discussed their plans with the daughters because the three girls seemed to know that that was always kind of the plan. Like, once they retired, he was going to be cut off. So, okay, so here, here's what I'm gleaning from this. If they, if they did tell the daughters and they're not telling him, are they afraid of him and his reaction? Unclear. Or maybe, like you said, maybe they did tell him things. But he or, just, yeah, did they register. tell the whole family, like, hey, we're going to retire, and he's like, oh, yeah, that applies to you guys, but not to me, because they're always going to, like, foot the bill for me, or... I, uh, yeah. I, I, I just feel like know. that, I mean, hopefully they warned him. Merry Christmas! <laughs> I mean, you would think, okay, so he's, like, 28 at this point, so, like... Yeah, but if that's—I mean, if that's been the status quo your whole life, though, right, some right. warning would be helpful. You have no need helpful. to get a job, then. Yeah, you're a student. A pretty lousy student. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, like I don't. So I don't really know if he was told or when he was told, but it uh, seems like he found out somehow, or he was told and then was not happy. But like, okay, so it's Thanksgiving of. 2016 everything seems cool even a little bit too cool so <laughs> you see the family was gathered at the knoxville house with the parents and so i guess the parents were going to be moving two weeks after thanksgiving it's like and december 1st yeah and they were going to move into joel senior's late mother's mountain house and I don't know if that's where they were going to stay permanently or they were going to move there for a bit while they, you know, found a new place. But their house their house was for sale, so it had, like, right. a for sale sign in the yard. But they still had their Thanksgiving there. And, you know, a lot of their stuff was still there. Like, the furniture and stuff was still there. Yeah. But, like, I guess some of the stuff had been packed and moved. And one of Junior's sisters commented that he was acting kind of strangely. Uh-oh. Like... Like I said, up until this point, he was really re- reclusive. He'd never said more than a few words to anyone, and he especially did not pay attention to his nieces and nephews. But this Thanksgiving, he was being really friendly and talkative, and he yeah. was even, like, oh. showing his nieces and nephews old toys that he used to have because, like, his, oh. parents, his parents basically kept his room exactly as it was when he left. So he was, like, showing Wait. them his beanie babies and, like, you know. Yeah maybe given them a couple and he was like playing with them and it was weird because he seemed like he transformed from a mopey hermit to like a happy engaging guy Uh and um and yeah it was by all accounts a wonderful dinner other than the fact that it was weird 
Yeah, they were just like, I don't know what happened to him. He's always like a real bummer, but he's like playing with the kids and being all like talkative and happy and weird. Very weird. That, that's not like this norm. That's weird. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's Thanksgiving. Everything's great. Thanksgiving's it's not what? Weird. Thanksgiving's what on a Thursday? Okay, yeah. everyone goes home. Good times. Yeah. Good times. Well, on Monday, the Monday after the Thanksgiving weekend, Lisa had not shown up for work, which was very unusual for her because she She had to pay those bills. Yeah. And her boss said that she was like always super prompt, reliable, reliable, would never not show up without calling in. So her boss, Jennifer Whitehead, after numerous attempts to call Lisa, failed. She called 911 and asked them to do a welfare check on on the home. Also, just as an aside, you know how your like last name comes from professions? Well, what is a borge? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that is. I couldn't even guess. Well, that's kind of how I live my life. I don't know what I am. I couldn't even guess. <laughs> do you think a whitehead was a pimple popper? <laughs> I actually was thinking about that the other day. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I can't resist. Oh, got to pop it. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Who the fuck knows what a borge is? No one knows. That's what I'm saying. That's why I'm confused about my life calling. See, if I had, if I had been given mm-hmm. a name like bricklayer or like <laughs> Smith <laughs> or like pimple popper, pimple popper, I would know. Like that's my direction, know. but I that's don't. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, well, well, you got to look in the old country and see what the Borges did back. (laughs) What does it mean in like Portuguese? I don't know. I don't know. Well, when officers arrived at the house to do the welfare check, they they noticed. Well, from the outside, it looked like it was the house was empty. It didn't like look like there was anyone home. Mm hmm. There was a for sale sign out front, but there were there was no realtor's box like for the mm-hmm. key on the front the door. Box, mm-hmm. yeah. And they went around back and they noticed that the back door's doorknob had been removed and put on the front door. So like there was like a hole where the knob was, but then there was like a deadbolt that was locking the back door. Okay. And when and then like one of the officers looked through the window or a window and they noticed a grocery bag on the floor that had perishable items like ice mm. cream and bacon. <laughs> and and then like the the officers that were at the back door, they kind of looked through the uh, the hole. The, the hole. The, the, yeah, the hole in the door. Yeah. And they couldn't really see much of anything, but they smelled a bunch of really weird smells, Ooh. and they felt heat, like immense heat coming through the hole. Ooh. So one of the officers like found. And it's like winter time. You're not gonna like. Yeah. Oh, okay. One of the officers was able to open one of the car doors, one of the cars that belonged to someone that lived at the house, and they found a garage door opener. So they Well, that's lucky. Lucky, lucky. So they <laughs> clicked the button and opened the garage door, and upon entering the house, they were struck with a strong smell uh. of chemicals. Ah. Oh. And the house had the heat up 
to 90 degrees Fahrenheit uh-uh. or 32 degrees Celsius for all you other folks. Well, that was nice of you. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and they could hear a dog barking and kind of whimpering uh, coming from upstairs. Because it was like dying of heat? Yes. 90. Ugh. They noticed two wallets and a ball peen hammer on a table. That's always like a ball kitchen peen. <laughs> kitchen table. Okay, and then wha- like if you're trying to slow down decomposition, you're not you're gonna like turn the the AC on full blast. Or if you're trying to speed up decomposition. Why are you speeding it up? That's just people are gonna smell it and it's gonna be gross. Well, to mess with the time time of death. Uh, okay. Um, they also, so the, the ball peen hammer and the wallets were on the kitchen table and then on the dining room table, there were like a couple long guns, but I think that, um, Joel senior was a hunter. So there, there were like a lot of guns in the house. What do you mean by a lot? Like a rifle? Like a rifle. That's a long gun. Like a rifle. Okay. That's not like a type of gun I didn't know about. This is a long one, you know. (laughs) That's how I would describe the gun. You got some long ones. You got some short ones. Long shorts. You got the little pew pew. Uh, And then you got the. uh, uh, You got your little, your little purse pew pew. And you got the big gangster. (laughs) You got the long, you got the extra long. Yeah. You got the, the 1920s Tommy gun. That's all I know. <gasps> um, so they saw th- that, and then they went into the kitchen, and there was a big pot boiling on the stove, and the stove was turned on. So What is happening? What is happening? Uh-oh, what's in the pot? <laughs> what's in the pot? Uh, <laughs> oh, don't you want to know? I don't think I do. You probably don't. <laughs> well... I'll tell you in a minute, but first okay. they they kind of do like a walkthrough, like a cursory walkthrough before they start like digging in anything. Okay. Uh-huh. And then um, some of the officers went up the stairs following yeah. the sound of the distressed dog. Yeah. And once they were at the top of the stairs, they saw just laying on the floor mm-hmm. down a hallway, a pair of severed hands. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> they then opened just the just there, just a pair of hands laying in the hallway. Okay. They then opened the door of the room they heard the dog in, and they found a severely dehydrated, overheated dog. Oh. So they brought him out of the house, or her. They brought the dog out of the house, mm-hmm. and I'm assuming you know, got it some medical attention. Yeah. They then went back to that pot on the stove. No! And when they opened it, they discovered a human head. I knew it! Oh, God, I knew it. The head of Lisa Guy was boiling away. Oh, my God. As they walked through the house of horrors, they found more dismembered body parts. Some in a bathtub dissolving in some chemicals and... There were, like, big blue tote bins that had other body parts dissolving in chemicals. I cannot. In fact, there were so many chemicals that the the officers had to back out of the house and mm-hmm. get hazmat suits to continue processing the evidence. For sure. 
they found a corrosive cocktail of liquid fire, hydrogen peroxide, sewer cleaner, and bleach, which caused the body parts to suffer excessive decomposition. What's liquid fire? I don't know. It sounds hot. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> liquid fire. Okay, that's quite so, a concoction. Yeah, and, uh, you know, they were very decomposed, but the investigators were able to identify that the bodies were of Joel Sr. and Lisa. Y- yeah. They, they also found some muriatic acid, lye, baking soda, and a bleach sprayer. Okay. Okay. But, like, looking all this at all this without an autopsy, they're like, we can't determine cause of death by this. Like, there's For just sure. arms and legs and hands, hands and, and bits. Bits of things everywhere. This is horrible. They could tell that the victims, it looked like they had been stabbed with a knife multiple times. And then they found a suitcase in one room with a note inside it that depicted the name and address of an Ace Hardware store, along with a notation about sewer line cleaner. And then, perhaps the most telling of all, they found a backpack belonging to Junior. Inside was some books, some like library books, uh, and then there was a notebook. And inside the notebook were handwritten notes outlining and detailing his intent to murder and destroy the remains and evidence inside the house. Okay, I'm pretty speechless at this point. There's a lot happening. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, was he planning on coming back? Like, he was in the process of destroying their yes. bodies to make it look like, oh, they, like, went on vacation or whatever. I'll take care of their finances kind of a thing. Mm, not so much a, I went on vacation and I'll, I'll take care of their finances and more of, like, a perhaps a murder-suicide or a murder... Um, I think, okay, I'll read you some of the stuff that was in his notebook, but I, th- from what I could gather, I think his plan was to get rid of his father's body completely and leave uh-huh. his mother's there in, a, in, in like a crazy state, uh-huh. but have him take the blame for it. Okay. But then he's going to be like missing, so then they'll never be able to find him, and then they'll just be chasing this guy that's not there. Okay, so good plan. It's a great, uh, great plan. Except for he's doing this all on the holidays, so that's going to be like a <laughs> Well, it was his only time home. He was had to go, like, <laughs> he had to just go to Tennessee on a whim. He's a dedicated student. He is. Um, yeah, so him thinking that he could get away with this, like, you know, maybe do some more studying. But Well, I mean, let me just read you. Some okay. things that were in the notebook okay, wait, because, like, so he's he's like living in the house in this situation. Uh, no, he went to the house for the holidays, mm-hmm. and was planning on just like doing this over the holiday weekend and then going to school for Monday. While the bodies are decomposing, and I mean, come he, back later. He had a whole plan. Okay. 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 So on one page. Uh, he included the following instructions. So he, like, wrote out these instructions for himself to, like, follow. Good student. Yes. Yes. So. 
Okay. These are all like bullet points. He says, get carving knives to make small pieces. Get oh. get killing knives. Quiet. Multiple. Get, <sighs> s- get sledgehammer. Crush bones. Bring blender and food grinder. Oh. Gri- grind meat. Okay. Didn't his parents have these things at home? <laughs> Maybe they had packed them up. I just like, uh, just to, like dismember a body. It just, I, I can't even, I can't yep. fathom. Yep. So he goes on and says, get bleach, denature proteins, get plastic bin for dena- denaturation process, denaturation process. Does not matter where they're killed. Just get rid of bloody spots to prevent evidence of time of death. Why are you writing this down? (laughs) Not the mattress or couches. Get rid of bodies inside house. There in my DNA already there. Open doggy door to provide entryway. But then he crossed that out. And then then after that he puts, he needs to be blamed, not intruder. So I think like Mm -hmm. he's talking about his dad. Right. So that's the other thing. Throughout these lists, he never refers to his parents as like mom and dad. It's all him and her or he mm-hmm. and she, which right. l- so like placing distance. Yeah. Um, kind of dehumanizing them. Yes. Flush chunks down toilet, <gasps> not garbage disposal. Uh, or neither. What? And then you get a clog and you have to call a plumber to like, uh-uh. <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> yeah. uh, there, so there was like, no evidence that he flushed anything down the toilet. Well, he didn't get there yet. Get plastic. That's true. Get plastic sheeting for disposal process. Is he actually writing get whatever? Yes. whatever get? Yes. Okay. He doesn't know how to do a to-do list, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> well, these are the actions you have to take to do the to-do. Yeah, but you could do like get and then make a list of all the things you need to get. No, he didn't write it like that. You need to yeah, teach a no, lesson clearly. in that. clearly. <laughs> Uh, he actually did get plastic sheeting, but it was just like on a bed. Like he didn't actually un- unravel it. Did he put check marks next to these things? No. Oh, then he put, get hollow point bullets just in case. But then he crossed that out and wrote, we'll be seen buying bullets. Just mm-hmm. use computer ro- room gun. Make sure there are bullets. Last resort. He's not alive to claim her half of the insurance money. All mine. Half a million dollars. Flood the house. Covers up forensic evidence. Turn heat up as high as it goes. Speeds decomposition. Bleach reacts with luminol just like blood. Douse area with bleach. Big sprayer. Lie. Trash compactor? Body gives time of death. Alibi. Don't have to get rid of body if there's no forensic evidence on the body. Mm-hmm. His fingerprints and DNA. So police were like, well, that was easy. <laughs> uh, case closed. Yep, so now they had their suspect. And they placed him under surveillance for a few, for like the day. And then they his writing is just so, I don't, it's just like so bizarre. The things that is, he like wrote down. Yes. You know? I'm going to read more of what he wrote on another page, okay. but, like, yes, it's very I, like, can't wrap my bizarre. head around. Yeah, what's, okay. I can't either, so I'm, like, I, and you, it, he is so creepy, like, if you watch him just at, like, his trial or whatever, he just, like, just, like, sits there, like, with his huge eyes and just, like, 
just stares. Uh. And, like, kind of moves around a little bit in his chair, but, like, it's so bizarre. I can't read him at all. Um, so then they, they apprehended him, I think, on the Tuesday after. So the next day, basically. And he was, as he was trying to get in his car, and inside his car they found a meat grinder in the trunk. So maybe he left his meat grinder at, at school. Oh, because they also, they, they arrested him in Louisiana, because he had gone back, and I'll tell you why. Okay. But they also found a bunch of receipts inside his apartment that apparently, but apparently they didn't have a search warrant to get the receipts, so the receipts were ruled unconstitutionally acquired and couldn't be used as evidence. Okay, but what's going to do with the receipts? Like, tax write-offs? What's <laughs> happening? Why are you collecting them? Maybe he could just, maybe he could return everything when he's yeah. done. <laughs> that wasn't on the list, was it? Return. Well, I didn't whatever, read the entire whatever. notebook. Return. That could have been, like, on, like, one whatever, of the last whatever. pages of, like, things to do. Because that seems like pretty much the end, you know. But what the receipts did provide were a time and place, so they were able to get stores surveillance tapes Mm -hmm. where they could see Junior buying things like muriatic acid and hydrogen peroxide and the bleach sprayer and a couple knives. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Carving knives, quiet knives. Quiet knives. (laughs) All the knives, the blender. And um, Lisa was also caught on surveillance footage right before she died buying supplies at Walmart. Mm-hmm. So investigators kind of pieced together as best they could of what happened in that house because Junior's not saying anything. So they think that on November 26th, Junior was alone in the house with his father and he attacked him in the second floor room that had been converted to an exercise space. Mm-hmm. while Lisa was at Walmart shopping. The evidence showed that there was a struggle and that some blinds were torn and there was blood on a wall and in a corner and that the... What, blo- you didn't clean up the blood? Well, and the Bowflex machine had been overturned. Ah, Bowflex. Bowflex. Very nice. <laughs> uh, the, an, autopsy resort, an autopsy report later stated that he had 42 knife wounds to his body, which caused uh, damage to his liver, lungs, and oh kidneys. God. And he had a wound in his shoulder that was so severe that a piece of the weapon was left in the muscle tissue. Oh. Joel Sr.'s clothes. That's just like 42. That's yeah, a lot of that's time. A lot. Mm-hmm. That's, a that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. Joel Sr.'s clothes were cut off his dead body and left in the room where he was killed. Two large knives lay near the clothes, and a bloody pack of cigarettes were on top of the clothes. His hands were cut off at the wrists, his arms were severed at the shoulder blade, his legs were removed at the hip, and his right foot had been removed at the ankle. Then, after murdering his dad, Lisa came home with the groceries, and she put put them down in the entryway and something must have caught her attention upstairs so she went upstairs and as she got to the top she was attacked with a knife this is awful she was stabbed 31 times causing 21 severe injuries nine of her ribs were severed and her clothes were also cut from her body and left where she had been murdered her legs were severed below the knees her arms were severed at the shoulder 
and her head was removed. Not just cut off, but broken off with force. Like, pulled off. And then put in a pot of boiling water. Like, the strength? Yeah. Like, I just... Yep. Yep. Both victims had their arms and legs placed in bins of chemicals to dissolve them. And each, and then their bodies were also, or, or their torsos were also placed in a bin. So he's, thi- he's like, okay, my dad's going to be gone. Mm-hmm. They're going to think that he did this, that he dismembered her. Apparently. Each body had a large gash inflicted after death so that the chemicals would seep into the body quicker. Good thing he took all those chemistry (laughs) classes. So, why, with all this planning, did Junior leave the horror scene without finishing his master plan? Yeah. Well, you see, he got some boo-boos while murdering his parents. Uh, yeah. So, his hands had been cut and, you know, presumably from slipping, the hands slipping on blood. And... At 3.30, he was seen at a local Walmart in the first aid section getting himself some bandages and ointments for his wounds. Ointments. Ointments. But (laughs) I guess, like, he couldn't ointment himself well enough because the next day on Sunday, he drove to Baton Rouge to go have his wounds treated at the student center at his college. (laughs) Idiot. And that's why he was uh, in Baton Rouge. And he was probably planning to go back and clean up the job, but by Monday morning, you know, the police were all over his house and he never got a chance to finish. Oh yeah, too bad his mom was so damn reliable. Uh, I know. And uh, yeah, he was apprehended. Um, so Joel Guy Jr. pled not guilty, but filed a motion that if he was convicted, he would prefer the death penalty. Okay. <laughs> like, what? Okay. Like, you guys, I'm totally innocent. But if you say I did it, just kill I me. I obviously didn't do it, but if you think I did, fucking end it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it's not dramatic. Yep. Fine. So the weird part is, I mean, maybe not weird, but like... He had no previous record at all, no outbursts of any kind, no, like, seemingly no signs of him being any kind of violent. He was just kind of a recluse and a weirdo. Yeah. But he'd never hurt anyone before. Right. At the trial, his defense team presented no evidence on his behalf. How'd they even go to trial? Like, this is clearly a deal or whatever. Well, yeah. I don't know why his defense team didn't try and get him a deal, but... Well, maybe, maybe they did, and he was like, I won't take it because I didn't do it. And then they were like, well, we have nothing to help you. Or maybe the prosecution was like, we're not offering you a fucking deal. You clearly did it. Yeah. So his sister testified that her parents had discussed cutting him off financially and that it was an ongoing family topic. Um, all the sisters testified that although the parents and the sisters were part of a text group chat... Mm-hmm. that they would frequently talk in. Junior was never part of the group. So I don't know if they talked to the girls about this or, you Yeah, know. it sounds like 
but it also I seemed mean, like he kind of excluded himself from a lot of family things. So they yeah, might have just still usually I feel like you'd have him at least in the group. So unless, he can see what's happening. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Unless, like I said, unless you're like afraid of him or. Well, see, one yeah. one of his sisters said that she wasn't even sure if Junior knew her kids' names. Like that's how involved he was with the family. He just like stayed that's in his so little Louisiana weird. apartment, just got everything paid for, and never did family stuff. So I think that's kind of why they didn't. I mean, I think that maybe they just had a regular text group going, and he was, he was such a bummer. Yeah, that they were like don't even. Right. Weird. That's weird, though. That's like a red flag. Mm-hmm. That's weird. But, you know, some people are reclusive and don't want to be bothered, and so I think they just kind of thought that. No, I get that. that, but the yeah. fact that, like, your family is so communicative and yeah. they had, like, a group conversation going and you don't even know your nephew or niece's name. Yeah. Like, that's, a re- that's, like, there's something going on It seems on like that's it's, weird. like, a that's a you problem because all of us seem to be getting along just fine. <laughs> Yeah, but that feels like, you know, some, like, kind of mental health something. Oh, like, for sure, yeah. Or something's, go- like, something's yes. like not clicking. Yes. Something's wrong. I agree. I mean, yeah, it's one thing if your whole family is kind of, like, you know, doesn't talk or whatever, but. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. Very strange. The prosecution showed the notebook that they found at the scene of the crime. So they were, like, case closed, Your uh-huh. Honor. Uh-huh. <laughs> And for motive, they pointed to the note that he wrote about the half a million dollar life insurance policy, saying, with him gone, it will be all mine. That's just such an extreme, like... But I'm not sure how he thought that, like, he would get all that. And, like, he's got three sisters. They're all on the insurance. Well, just, I mean, clearly something's not clicking. Something's not right, for sure. Uh Mm-hmm. Prosecutors alleged that he had started planning on November 7th when he began making a series of purchases from stores like the knives and plastic sheeting and chemicals and bins. The evidence showed that he took the time to plan out each aspect of the murder and the disposal of the bodies, as well as how he was going to go about destroying the evidence. I just, like, I cannot wrap my head around this at all. (laughs) He, like, finds out his parents are going to cut him off. Mm-hmm. So he just, like, starts planning their murder. Well, I think in his mind, he's like, well, you're going to have to pay my lifestyle somehow. And I know that you each have, like, a half million dollar life insurance policy. So if I cut you out, I'll get that money. And then I can live on that. I just, like, uh-huh. I guess there wouldn't be anyone else to talk to. Like, if he's so reclusive, there wouldn't be, like, anyone else to get kind of, like, a, an idea of, like, how he is. Yeah. He is creepy. Are you looking up a picture? I'm going to look up a picture. Yeah, look up a picture. Oh. <laughs> oh. See his eyes? Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't always look like that insane. I mean, it depends on the angle but it's mostly he looks insane. He looks like a lot older than Yeah, so he was 28 like 28 or whatever. He was 28 when he was arrested and then he his trial he didn't go to trial until 2020, so he's like in his 30s. But yeah, he looks he like he's like 50s. He does looks not age well. 
No. I mean, he, like, in the pictures, like, with his family, he just looks like, you know, like, a basic, like, whatever person. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I just saw one with the, oh, oh, oh. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So the prosecution alleged, like I had said, that the only reason he did not finish the job, which also included setting the house on fire after he destroyed the evidence, and then placing the blame on his father, was because he got those injuries on his hands while killing his dad. In the notebook, he wrote out his plan to kill his parents. He wrote, minimize things I touch during visit. Wear socks and gloves to prevent fingerprints and footprints, which, like, you fucking are their kid. Of course your fingerprints and footprints would be in that house. But I'm Well, he said that in a different one. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe... I don't know. <laughs> maybe he's talking knows. about, like... Maybe he's talking about during the actual murder. I don't know. Drop something down the garbage disposal to break it. Get him on the ground fixing it. Kill him in the kitchen. Clean up wait. mess. Wait, who's... So this is his... What? This is his plan. This was his original plan for the dad, was to oh. like drop something in the garbage disposal so that <laughs> the garbage disposal breaks. Okay. Then his dad is like on the ground under the sink fixing something, you know, fixing yeah. it. And then kill him with knife. Clean up mess. Bef- clean up mess from him before she gets home. Kill her with knife. Then he wrote and crossed out kill dog. But then he crossed out kill dog and he wrote take dog with you. place her in shower turn on hot water point at her to get rid of forensics remove her clothes yeah okay i thought we were talking about the dog for a minute okay (laughs) no no take the dog then back to the mom place her in the shower the clothes i was kind of like i don't think you're talking about the dog (laughs) remove her clothes and then take them with me for disposal place him in plastic bin and use it to get him up into upstairs bathroom cut off his arm and plant his flesh under her <gasps> fingernails place her hand with his dna wait so but that he's like decomposing her body well yeah but i guess um one of her hands was cut off or something okay place so her like leave a hand behind with his dna under her fingernails Place her hand with his DNA so that his DNA is not washed away by shower. No, this is like just his plan. It didn't exactly go this way, obviously. Well, clearly. Use sodium hydroxide to destroy his soft tissue, soften bones for transport, based every hour to accelerate. Based, yes. Flush sodium hydroxide I just feel down like this the is toilet. Like a way longer process <laughs> than you get for Thanksgiving break. <laughs> well, if you kill them on after everyone leaves on Thursday, but he yeah. didn't do it till Friday. Right. Kill them on Friday. You've got Saturday and Sunday to clean up, and then you're back in uh, back to for school on Monday. Every hour. Yeah, you just based for a day. <sighs> okay. We didn't write a timeline. I don't know. Yeah, why didn't he? It was like so meticulous about some of his notes. Where's the timeline at? Mm-hmm. It's like he's thinking of all these things, but not thinking of everything. Well, then he's just like writing down some stuff that it's like, wouldn't you like that's kind of common sense or like that's pretty logical, but then you like wrote it. That's weird. I don't know if he needed a checklist to make sure that he did it. Diary with his plan and then. (laughs) 
got confused. Yeah. So then he says, flush sodium hydroxide down the toilet, wash out bin with handheld shower head, and then direct handheld into toilet to flush everything out of the pipes and into public waterway. Douse rooms with bleach. Place hair curler with flammable paper and flammable containers of gasoline in four locations. His killing room, her killing room, his bathroom, and her bathroom. How Wipe many curling irons <laughs> does she have? <laughs> no, I think it would just be like the one would start it, and then it would just make sure that those would four it? rooms... Okay, this is what he is thinking. I Okay. Mm, mm, no? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. Wipe down areas near, near killing rooms and bathrooms. Turn heater up to 90 degrees to melt fingerprints and dry everything. Okay, he's like going to do all <sighs> this, but he's also going to set it all on fire. Yeah, he wants to like eliminate any of the evidence and then set so it like, like double like, elimination. He's like no, covering, he's covering like, his tracks. He's planting evidence on his mom but then he's going to dissolve her so that evidence is going to be gone then he's like cleaning up all the evidence out of the house but he's going to burn the house down i think his hope is he's going to get rid of any evidence that pertains to him and that hopefully you know if they find anything it will be his dna under her or not it'll be his dad's dna under his mom's fingernails so cops are going to come to the scene they're going to see all these, like, scattered body parts, but one no. intact hand. He was planning on melting all the body parts and then flushing them down the toilet and then bashing the bones into dust, getting rid of all the parts. Oh, but then, yeah, my God. I, yeah, <laughs> this is way more than a two-day project. <laughs> this is not. Well, I mean, he never really finished anything he started, so. He didn't understand he, he's no timelines exactly. and, like, the scope mm -hmm. of what he's trying to accomplish here. But, you know, he's trying to cover his tracks, so he set her phone, or so then he wrote, set her phone to send me a text message late Sunday to prove that I was in Baton Rouge and she was alive. Leave through front door and wipe doorknobs. Timer for flammables set for Friday at 10 a.m. Sun will mask fire, but not smoke. Everyone will be at work, so they won't report the smoke. Sun will mask fire? Yeah, as in, like, if... If the fire is happening in the daytime, it's not going to be like... No one's going to you know, see it? Yeah, because it's like already bright outside. No. So you're not going to see the brightness of the fire. But you might see smoke, but at 10 a.m., everyone should be at work. So... Like all the neighbors and everything? All the neighbors are going to be at work by 10 a.m., according to him. So no they won't see the smoke. The nope. So no one will call you and the house can burn down. like blocks away. Nope. <laughs> They're all at work. Everyone's at work. Okay, I'm starting to understand why he, like, never <laughs> got a degree or anything. Uh -huh. Not that, you know, but come on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he was going to, like, have their bodies decompose and whatever, and then he wasn't going to have the fire set. He was hoping that no one would check in on them, and then the house would burn down, like, a week later or, like, that Friday. Yeah, because no one's going to notice them gone for a week. Yeah. Yeah. He has, like, no concept of anyone else. Of anything. He's got, like, no concept of anything. After he murdered his parents, he used their credit cards to withdraw enough money to cover rent and tuition until he thought that the life insurance would start like paying out. Because that's, like, not obvious. 
<laughs> it's like, oh, they haven't done anything except for they've well, drawn just enough they, money for you. They normally pay his tuition and his rent, so. Yeah, but they completely disappeared, but they yeah. withdrew enough money. Well, yeah, because they were like, we're going to be gone. We're, gonna, we're going on vacation. We just want to make sure that you're taken care of. Here's the money to pay your bills. The defense argued that there was not enough DNA evidence collected from the scene to point to their client and that their client had never lashed out before. Okay. The lashing out thing is literally the only thing they could say. It's like all they could say. The whole DNA thing? Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Are you kidding me? They argued... There's like notes and video and... Okay, DNA, who cares? It's like... Okay. Well, and he never really cleaned up anything, so... His DNA was like on the on the knives, like yeah, his DNA was like in the house. Yeah, on the blue totes or whatever. But like, there was, like you said, there was the notebook, so they were like, we don't need to test everything. We kind of know what happened. Yeah, why would we waste money spending? And this, look all at his hands. Like the lab. His hands yeah, are sliced like, up. <laughs> what the fuck? They argued that his demeanor at Thanksgiving did not suggest he had murderous thoughts. Yes, it did, because it was different than usual. Mm-hmm. The prosecution countered that his sisters said his behavior was very unusual for him that yeah. day, and they well, suggest... Well, like, that just, like, speaks to his character, though, like, how bizarre, where he's, like, made up this plan, and he's like, oh, I'm gonna, like, distract them all from it by just being, like, super friendly, and they're all like, this is fucking weird. Yep. But he's like, all of a sudden, he's like, oh, this will seem totally normal. Totally I, normal. I like, don't want to kill them if I'm just, like, super out of character. Y- yeah. Yeah. So bizarre. <laughs> it's, yeah. Yeah. Okay. They, so the prosecution suggested that he was acting that way to deflect attention away from himself. And had he acted hostile at dinner, he would be an immediate suspect after they had turned up dead. Right, even though he already is. Mm-hmm. Well, the trial took four days, and in October of 2020, Joel Guy Jr. was found guilty of two counts first-degree murder, two counts felony murder, and two counts of abuse of a corpse, mm-hmm. and he was convicted to life in prison at the Bledsoe County Correctional Center, and he will serve out two life sentences, one right after the other, plus four additional years for abusing a, sp- a corpse. And the district attorney general said, I am pleased with the sentencing announced this morning. My office asked for and obtained consecutive sentences to ensure the defendant would never be released from, pri- from prison. She said, I hope that the citizens of this community feel safe knowing this offender is off our streets forever, and I hope that the sentence imposed today provides some measure of closure for the family that has been torn apart by these horrific acts. I don't see potential for rehabilitation of Mr. Guy. I was watching him on... Oh, sorry, this is this is the judge whose last name is Sword. Judge Sword said... Mm. I don't... That's right through the crowd. He does. He said, I don't see potential for rehabilitation of Mr. Guy. I was watching him during the trial. He showed absolutely no remorse or despair over at seeming... Wha- over at seeing what he had done. He said, quite frankly, Mr. Guy, you look like you're kind of proud of what you've accomplished. During the hearing, the judge had received letters that Junior had been threatening his cellmate so that he could have the cell all to himself. Oh. He, he wrote to authorities that he fantasized about gouging out his cellmate's eyes. He wrote, I'm writing this letter because I don't want to end up with a disciplinary infraction or worse. 
more criminal charges, nor do I logically believe that this gentleman deserves to be blind. I don't know what to do. I shouldn't be allowed access to another person while they're unconscious. He's such, he's such a little weasel. It's like, I don't want anyone in my cell, so I'm just going to threaten them because uh -huh. I don't know what to do. I don't want them. It's okay. I know that solitary <laughs> is like a really horrible punishment, but maybe this guy wants solitary. Yeah. Like maybe he'd thrive in solitary because well, he he's out of his fucking mind. I mean, he probably did before. It seemed like he just kind of did his thing in his apartment. I mean, I doubt that he actually went to classes. He probably just did all online shit, but was still, like, on campus. Anyway, that's all I've got for you. That's... <laughs> that was, like, awful. Yeah. I just... Like, clearly there's something seriously wrong with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, uh. you, like, like you said, the fact that the rest of the family was able to get along and enjoy each other's company, and they were all, like, seemingly normal and... Everyone said that they were great parents and they were yeah. like very loving and they they were super, you know, in love with each other and they were probably so thrilled when their son was like, I'm gonna go away to college. They're like, finally, he's yeah. like moving, he's doing, doing something. something, he's gonna get out there, he'll probably make some friends, he'll like meet people that he gets along with, like mm -hmm. maybe there's a hope for him. Yeah, and they were, you know, they were super excited to be grandparents and they had like a bunch oh. of grandkids and yeah they're trying to like get on with their life their next chapter yeah they were excited to have all the kids home for thanksgiving so that they could all celebrate together before they moved to a new place and this fucking piece of shit decided to take it upon himself and i don't know what he was thinking or wasn't thinking yeah because what he was thinking what he wrote down it's like what the f it doesn't He's just crazy. I don't know. Uh-huh. He's just weird. He's like a weird dude. The tossed salad and the scrambled egg. A tossed salad, a scrambled egg. The tossed salad. A tossed salad. And the scrambled egg. A scrambled egg. So a tossed salad is someone who clearly knows right from wrong and chooses to do wrong anyway right so the tossed salad has more components the person is able to com compartmentalize and a scrambled egg is someone who can't tell right from wrong and they're just completely scrambled just one component one track mind they're all kinds of mixed up there's no focus they're disorganized so like the writing of the list makes me think tossed salad because it's like an organized in a way like well, it, in a way the, like, the the cell thing, you know, like, he, it just feels like he's so entitled that he's basically like, okay, well, I want to get my way, yeah. and any way that I can do that, that's how I'll do it. So if I, if I have to threaten someone, if I have to hurt someone to get my way, like, I'll do it. It's no big deal. And you know what the, um, the him asking for the death penalty kind of reminds me of? Just, like, like, when a child is throwing a tantrum, and they're, like, mm -hmm. you're basically, like, no, you can't have it. And, and then it's, like, well, if, you, if I can't go to Disneyland, then I just want to die. Why don't you just kill me? Mm-hmm. It was just, like, I'm going to threaten that, so then maybe you'll just be, like, well, no, 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 calm down. We're not trying to do that. Like, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he just seems, like, super immature and just, like, really, yeah, has no accountability but then some kind of egg, rotten egg, scrambled egg, because 
Um, I mean, I mean, he's definitely got some kind of mental health issues going on. Yeah, yeah, definitely something going on. But I don't know. I just feel like maybe, I feel like maybe he's just like super entitled, and he never had yeah. like he just always got his way. So yeah, and he figured like that he he saw his parents more as a cash machine yeah. than actual human beings, like evident from well, him the calling them he and she. Got a job just, just to so support can, like, him. Yeah. Yeah, because they, you know, as opposed to being like, hey, you know, like you're old enough now, maybe you're almost you thirty. You should be supporting yourself. Job. I've raised you, like I. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I think he's like tossed. Yeah. He had everything handed to him. He yeah. just had to step it up for once in his life, and his way of stepping it up was murder. <laughs> Yeah, I um, mm mm, piece of shit, mm-hmm. piece of shit salad. That was horrible. Thanks. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, real bummer of a week. Real bummer. You got something? Another bummer. Your turn. Yeah. Are Another you ready for bummer. This? Okay, so uh, disclaimer. Disclaimer, 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 disclaimer. This is a French story. We. <laughs> uh, oui. There are some things that I feel like I'm not even going to attempt to say. Okay. Okay. So. I think it'd be really fun if you did, though. No, I know you always think that, <laughs> and I know that you edit out when you mess things up. <laughs> when I mess things up, you just like repeat it. So. <laughs> I will say some things, but I'm just saying, like, I don't mean any mm-hmm. offense by this. Very sorry. The French language is like Very really hard. hard. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I like looked up how to say one name and I had to, I listened to it like six times on like full volume and I was like, <laughs> I don't understand how to use your I don't tongue even in understand your mouth. how to like mimic that. Like <laughs> yeah. wh- what? what and then it like wasn't making? even using any of the letters that were like there. <laughs> I was just like, oh uh uh no. Mm, okay. Okay, so uh, oh, you didn't say your sources. Oh. So I was going to say my sources. My sources were WVLTTV.com, Washington Post, Wikipedia, Knox News, and WBIR.com. Okay. So my sources are Wikipedia, but I didn't even really use Wikipedia, so. Mm. Uh, VictorianParis.wordpress.com. TheLineup.com and TriviaLibrary.com. Ooh, Trivia Library. So this is like an old French case. Double whammy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so here we go. August 17th, 1889, outside the village of Millery. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that's not how you say it. Millery. Something like that. France. A road worker smelled a horrible smell. Oh, no. What do you do? You smell an awful smell. Do you go towards it? You walk away from it. I mean, depends on where it is and what the smell is. But, mm, mm, I mean, I might. (laughs) It depends what I'm doing. If I'm on my way somewhere and I smell something bad, I'm just going to keep going. Well, I always wonder, because they always say, like, you know, decomposition is, like, the sickly sweet smell. 
Yeah. And it's like, I always wonder, like, would I recognize it? Like, I mean, because like roadkill and stuff, you know, like, I feel like you drive by like dead animals all the time, unfortunately. But you're not sniffing them. And they're not. No. Usually they like, if they're in the road and the sun and they just kind of like turn into chips, road chips, and they don't really like melt. I don't know. I don't know if I'd recognize it, but I feel like, oh. So he followed his nose. And Sam. He followed. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, he wasn't smelling fruit loops. (laughs) (laughs) He followed it all the way to an oil skin bag that was like tucked under some bushes off the roadway Uh near the bank of the Rhone. River, which okay. I'm sure that's not how you pronounce that either. Rome. <laughs> okay, so he did some investigation, and he looked inside. Curiosity killed the cat. There he found the naked body of a man with black hair. Ooh. The body was bound in seven meters of rope Whoa. with a black cloth bag over the head. Oh, Okay. So obviously they he like reported it and then the medical examiners got the body and they determined that the man had been dead from three to five weeks before mm. he had been found and that the cause of death was strangulation. Okay. And then two days after the body had been found, they were doing like investigation over in that area and they found a trunk nearby Uh-oh. the trunk smelled like death Uh-oh. and decay and it had a shipping label on it okay <laughs> and the label was from paris belly uh-huh <laughs> so <laughs> okay so the dead man was estimated to be between the ages of 35 and 45 mm-hmm. they weren't able to identify who he was so they buried him in a pauper's grave Okay. They're like, goodbye. Months later, chief of the Paris investigative unit came looking for the body. Okay. He wanted to have it exhumed because he thought he knew whose body it was. <gasps> whose body was it? Well, the investigator named Marie-Francois Gorin mm. was convinced that the man was 49-year-old Toussaint Augustine Gouffet. Okay. Gouffet was a bailiff in Paris and had been missing since July. Oh. You see, on Sunday, July 28th, Gorin was working at his desk when one of his secretaries handed him a newspaper report about the mysterious disappearance of a bailiff. Uh, Okay. Gorin instantly suspected murder. (gasps) But why? Because he had a reputation as a super sleuth. Uh-oh. Okay, this is what um, one of the articles I'm going to quote from this because uh-huh. this description is just like ridiculous. <laughs> so they said he was short and fat and he <laughs> suffered from attacks of asthma. Okay. <laughs> he had a waxed mustache oh. and wore a pince nez, which are those little glasses that you like put on your nose, oh. like balance in your nose. Okay. Oh, my um, God. And his tawny colored hair was, according to a contemporary, cropped like a rat. <laughs> well, they don't paint the most beautiful picture, but you know, he's, he is quite a character. On. Oh. 
it goes on to say, but those eyes, sharp mm. as needles, mm. penetrating, inquisitorial, Goran's eyes missed nothing, and mm. he happily took credit for cracking some of the toughest crime rings in the city. Oh, damn. Okay, and I looked at a picture of him. He did not look. He did not look short and fat and like he, you know, he looked like a normal well, I'm basically dude. He looked pretty fit it. in the picture. I don't know. I mean, the description is basically a cartoon. It's like Poirot. Yeah, yeah. It's a description of Poirot. Okay, <laughs> except for French, not Belgian. French, not French, Belgian. Okay, so. French, French, not French, Belgian. Right, right, right. <laughs> So Goran was intrigued by the case, so he went to Gouffet's office the next day. The safe in his office was locked, but the desk had been rifled through, and there were a bunch of burnt matches scattered on the floor. As if someone was trying to look with using that as a light source? I guess. Yeah, they're like sneaking around. So Goran questioned everyone connected with Gouffet that he could find. He questioned his clients and his girlfriends, but he came up with nothing. Did you say his girlfriends? Oh, yeah. We'll get into that a little bit. Okay, Goran. (laughs) Three weeks later, he saw another newspaper article about a body being found inside a sack. And although the man found had black hair and everyone knew that Gouffet's hair was auburn. Tawny, you said. No, that's Goran's hair is tawny. Oh. Gouffet's auburn. Oh, damn it. Yeah. Uh, Goran knew it was him. He just knew it. Okay. So he sent Gufay's brother-in-law and an investigator to look at the body. I said that weird. And yeah, an investigator. investigator <laughs> to look at the body. This is a new word I've never seen before. It must be French. <laughs> I know. I'm like stumbling over the English words. So I'm so terrified of the French words. It's hard. It's all hard. Okay. So, an investigator to look at the body, but the body was in such bad condition and it smelled so awful that the brother-in-law, like, stepped in and he just, like, he, like, ran out because he's like, I can't. This is gross. He's like, I don't think it's him. I don't know. I, it's not him. It looked like that last time I saw him. And then the investigator, he had just had enough time to go in and see the guy had black hair and he's like, no, it's not him. The hair's black. It's not him. He, like, ran out too. He's like, it's so fucking gross. I can't. (laughs) Okay, well, this is like, okay, so then Goran was stuck because he's like, okay, well, no one can identify this body. I know it's him. I know it is. Hmm. And then in September, he learned of a man of ill repute named Michel. I cannot say his last name. This is the one that's like, it's, it sounded like so, I couldn't. It's E-Y-R-A-U-D, but when you say it, none of those letters are even involved. It sounded like they were saying, like, a glue or something. And I was like, I can't even. E-Y-R-A-U-D. Hello. Okay, let me see if I can find... Hold on one second. I'm going to see. Let's see if this one does that. Hello. 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 So, none of those letters. Anyway, that's how you say that. I'm going to call him Michelle because that's... Okay, that's easy. Okay. And his mistress, Gabrielle Bompard, they had been missing since July 27th, which was the day after Gouffet had last been seen. Hmm. So Goran issued a bulletin to police, but nothing came of it. Mm-hmm. So he's like stuck. He's like, I, I know it's him. 
I'm suspecting these people, but without identifying the body, they're not going to like, they're not going to be caught for this. So. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I know. Okay. So in order to identify the body as Gufe, Goren brought in Dr. Alexander Lacassange. Lacassange. I'm going to refer to him as the doctor. Okay. Okay. So the doctor was a famed criminologist and a leader mm-hmm. in the emerging field of forensics. So this Ooh. is like 1889 Early. Early forensics. forensics. Okay. Yeah. So four months later, on November 13th, 1889, he began a week-long autopsy on the exhumed remains. Ooh, so stinky. this is four months after the body had been found, which was sitting there for like a month. Ugh. And then they, like, exhumed it, and now he's, like, kind of try, try to identify it. So all that was left was basically some bones and hair. But the doctor measured the leg and arm bones to determine the man's height. Mm-hmm. And he noted the indications of deformity in the right kneecap and foot. Hmm. He determined the dead man's age by calculating the wear of the dentin. And he checked the accumulation of tartar at the roots of the teeth. And then he washed the hair for like a bu- like a bunch of times, mm-hmm. and then he saw that it like gradually turned from black to auburn. So he dyed it. Then he compared the hair from the body to a sample of hair taken from Gouffe's comb, mm-hmm. and he also used the description of a back injury in the missing persons report to identify the body. Shit. So things like that are things that now people that now they do. You know, they like yeah. measure the bones to determine height and check the teeth for like age and stuff. Yeah. So he was doing that like this is like legendary. Damn. The beginning of forensics. Hmm. So finally, when the doctor dramatically was like, I know who it is, and it's Gouffe. So <laughs> they knew it was him, and the only other evidence they had was the trunk. So they have right. the body and they have the trunk. And so Goran ordered a replica of the trunk to be built and displayed. And within three days, 25,000 curiosity seekers came to look at the trunk. Hmm. And then at the end of the month, they finally got a lead. So someone from London wrote a letter to Goran that said a French couple had purchased the trunk in the previous July in London mm-hmm. and Gorin like immediately sent out an inspector who learned that the trunk buyers were a short man with huge hands and arms and a much younger and fairly attractive woman. <laughs> so on December 19th, Gorin himself went to London where he tracked down a French woman who had befriended the couple in question during their July visit. So reluctantly, she admitted that the man was her former lover, Michelle. Hello. <laughs> and that the woman was Michelle's new mistress, Gabrielle. So, making progress. Back in Paris on December 22nd, Gora knew for certain who had killed Gouffe, who had ransacked the office, until he had been frightened away by an approaching constable, he just didn't know where to find them. Hmm. So let's talk a little bit about Michelle and Gabrielle. Okay. So Gabrielle was four foot eight. Little. Little. She was 21 years old and she was from northern France. 
She was the daughter of a widowed metal dealer, and she was sent to a series of boarding schools and convents because her father's live-in mistress had issues with her. Mm -hmm. So she went from school to convent to school to convent, and she kept getting kicked out of each of them for misbehaving. Mm. And then finally, like, there was nowhere else for her to go, so her father did the only reasonable thing that he could. He locked her up in a corrective institute until she was 20 years old. Yeah, well, what else are you going to do? She just keeps messing up and flunking out. My mistress out doesn't like her. What am I going to do? Keep her locked away. Mm-hmm. So once she was let out, she moved to Paris. She obviously, like, didn't have a bunch of money. And she's and obviously, like, traumatized. Yeah, and she was <laughs> struggling, and there she met Michelle. He was... 47 Mm. and not a looker (laughs) he would like parade her around at cafes and she became his mistress Mm -hmm. so gabrielle basically you know she was crafty and so she like made a living on the streets right probably like doing sex work and whatever they she needed to to do Mm -hmm. so she would like bring home the money but Apparently, her propensity for profanity cost her a profitable position in one of the best Parisian saloons. That was wow, so what many an alliteration. <laughs> I know. Jeez. Wait, so, so she's So the girl liked to cuss, the, and wait, the saloon was like, we cannot. She's bringing in the money? Oh, sorry. It's a salon, not salon. a saloon. <laughs> yeah, she was bringing in the money. What's he doing? Well, well at Why this point- Why the hell is she with him? He's probably pimping her out. I don't know. But at this point, they're destitute. So Michelle was an army deserter Uh who ran off to the Americas until he was let back into France. They were finally like, all right, come back. We don't care. (laughs) Uh, He spoke several languages, and he was a scam artist. Ah, okay. So he had fallen into debt, Mm -hmm. and he faced possible prosecution for several swindles that he had attempted. So he... He owed about 500,000 francs as a result of the collapse of his cognac distillery. And he had been involved in a bunch of, like, shady deals since then. So he needed to get a bunch of money and fast. Yeah. So he he devised a plan. So I I think what they were doing was, like, I think Gabrielle was, like, a sex worker. And then he would probably try and, like, swindle the... The people uh, that were, like, her customers or whatever, you know? Got I think it. they were, like, working together. Right. Um, but Gabrielle, the plan was that Gabrielle would lure a rich man to an apartment that they were renting. Mm-hmm. And then they would rob and kill him. Right. Although the plan, the plan got, like, more complicated because I guess Michelle was, like, pretty elaborate in his planning. I don't know why they did this whole thing. But the plan was basically like lure in a rich man and kill him. But then for some reason, they went to London to get a trunk big enough to hold a body. And then they went and got fabric to sew a body bag. What? And they also got a rope and a pulley and a silk cord to use as a noose. And then, so then they like rented a room. It was like a a studio apartment for this purpose. First of all. Yeah. You're someone going to see a sex worker. You're not bringing all your riches 
You might bring just enough to pay her, but why would you bring anything yeah. more? Yeah, you're not trying to get robbed or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, plus you're just going to go have sex. It's not like you're going... Plus, okay, plus they buy a ticket to London. I don't know how expensive it is, but I'm guessing they're going by, like, boat to London. They're uh-huh. paying a craftsman to make a trunk. Right. They're shipping that trunk back with them. Right. That cannot be cheap. That trunk's, like, fucking right. huge. <laughs> like, how elaborate do you have to get? Okay. So then they rent this apartment for this purpose. They like put and they had a, to rent an apartment. Yes, and they rented an apartment, and then they like use that money. I don't know. So then they put like this curtain rod in between, like basically to divide the living room and the bedroom. Okay. So then Michelle hammered a pulley into the cross beam, uh-huh. and then like put the curtain to hide a chair and uh, the rope so on one side of the curtain is like a chair and then on the other side is like this pulley system with like this rope that they're like hiding so he was gonna wait behind the curtain for their victim Mm -hmm. and then they chose Gouffet because he was relatively wealthy and Mm -hmm. he was a widower and he was a renowned womanizer ah so he'll go after her okay yeah so bailiffs apparently did quite well back in the day. They were kind mm-hmm. of like a collection agency. Hmm. So they also they also later investigated when they were like looking into Gouffet that during the month, one month before his death, he slept with 20 women. Wow, that you know, that takes a lot of effort and time. Mm-hmm. So obviously when Gabrielle, like cute little Gabrielle was like, hey, why don't you come have a candlelit evening with me at my apartment? He was obviously like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So once in the apartment, Gabrielle wore a robe or a dressing gown tied with a red and white silk sash. She got Gouffet to sit in the chair by the curtain. Uh-huh. And someone wrote something about her having, like, unusually small breasts. And I was like, that's super unnecessary. What does that even mean? <laughs> so I didn't include it, but I just thought. Small? Yeah, I was so like, they were basically that's like fucking concave. rude. They were just I don't know. Words. I thought that was rude, and I didn't include it. So <laughs> I didn't appreciate the way this person was, like, saying some shit. So <laughs> She had a robe and really small boobs. They were, like, non-existent. Isn't that weird? It's like, no, they come in all shapes and Bizarre, sizes. They're know, all fine. That might okay. have led to her murderous ways. so she got Gouffet to sit in the chair by the curtain and then she like wrapped the sash around his neck and was like oh look it's such a nice necktie so fancy whatever (laughs) and then she like she like slyly tied the sash to the hidden rope draped over the top of the curtain rod okay (laughs) then okay so the story differs a little between articles I think they were Mm -hmm. they were both kind of like um what's the word editorializing Uh, so i don't know like which is which but i think so this one i think is more more likely so Mm. one source said that the pulley the pulley like he like so michelle hoisted him up on Mm -hmm. the pulley and then they like checked his pockets and they realized that he was still alive so michelle hoisted him up well you always keep your your life in your pockets yeah yeah so he hoisted him up again until he died Okay. A different source says that Gabrielle froze and then Michelle like took over and he like pulled on the rope, but the pulley wasn't strong enough. So then he like <gasps> fell to the floor oh, and Michelle strangled him. 
<laughs> but I don't think, and you'll see why later. I feel like the first one's more likely. So, uh, like you said, though, unfortunately, after they killed him, they only found 150 francs in his pockets. And that was basically what they paid for the tiny apartment. So <laughs> that didn't cover shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a frenzy, Michelle rushed off to Gouffet's office uh. with the keys to the safe in his hands. But before he could open the safe and grab the 14,000 francs inside, mm. he heard the approaching constable. Uh-oh. So then he dashed out of the office and ran back to the apartment, and then apparently he beat Gabriella. Ah, well, she didn't bring him a wealthy enough one. And then they had sex. Oh, okay. With Gouffet just there dead. So then they cut off Gouffet's clothes, and for a third time that evening, Michelle pulled the rope to hoist the bailiff into the air, and then they lowered his body into an oil, the oil cloth sack, and then uh, Gabrielle letters said that Michelle did it so adeptly that it was like putting a glove on. You'd have thought he'd been doing nothing else all his life. But bagging bodies? Yeah. Wow. From a pulley system. Wow. Yeah. So then after doubling up the stuff sack, they shoved it into the trunk at the foot of Gabrielle's bed. That night, Gabrielle had to sleep in the apartment with a body all alone. Because Michel went home to his wife. <laughs> wow. Yep. And his wife said that he snored loudly that night. Mm, slept well. He did, like a baby. And Gabrielle didn't sleep at all because she was like, there's a body in here. Yeah. So then the next day, they rented a cab. And that took them to the train station with the trunk. Then they put the trunk on a train to Lyons? Lyons. Lyons. then so that was like the tag that they found by the trunk it said that it came from paris and goran so then they said um the police when they were like looking into it they couldn't really read the date on the tag they they thought it was july 27th 1888 Mm -hmm. and they're like oh no trunks came or whatever at this time and then goran was like you idiots it says 1989 Whoa. and then he like looked into it you mean 1889 it. i'm sorry 1889 <laughs> yeah okay so then he looked on their like why would they fucking leave the label on well they weren't planning on leaving the trunk behind oh yeah so they so then he looked into the records and there was an entry that said one trunk weight 105 kilograms on hmm. July 27th for the 11.45 a.m. train hmm. to Lyon. Hmm. So once there, Michelle and Gabrielle picked up the trunk and dumped the body along the Rhone Riverbank. They were going to keep the trunk because obviously it was really expensive, I would think. Yeah, and they had it specially made. But it smelled too bad. Yucky. And it weighed too much. So oh. they're like, we'll just get rid of it. Oh. <laughs> so we didn't even need the oil sack. I mean, you think Paris in the summertime, it's got to be hot. Probably. And then this body has been sitting there all night yeah. in the heat. Yeah. And then on the train. And then, yeah. 
And no one on the train is like, what is that stinky box over there? <laughs> it was in the cargo part. <laughs> so then, Michelle knew that they had to keep moving because they're going to get caught. So, after he and Gabrielle dumped Gouffet's body in the river, they went to Marseille mm-hmm. to borrow money from his brother and brother-in-law. And then he, they boarded a ship bound for the U.S. with Gabrielle disguised as a man. <laughs> and they're like, she was so, like, petite. She, like, looked like a young boy. It went well. So I was like, okay. So no waxed mustache. She just went yeah, like a child. Yeah, I think she child. did. I don't know. I don't know. Like a <laughs> tiny man. I don't know. It's like one of, the, one of the, like, the newspaper boys. Little paper yeah. boy. Yeah. Yeah. Little yeah. paper boy. Yeah. yeah. A newsie. A newsie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so... The pair arrived in the U.S., I think. I think they went to the U.S. in early September. And then when they got there, Gabrielle was like a female again. (laughs) And they traveled as father and daughter under assumed names. Okay. Well, she's so much younger than him. She's young enough to be his daughter. Yeah, I guess. So they were known as E.B. Vannard. A wealthy businessman and his daughter Bertha. Bertha. <laughs> it's with an E. Bertha. 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 From there, they traveled to Quebec, and then to Montreal. <laughs> Montreal. <laughs> yeah, and then on to Vancouver, and then down to San Francisco. So they paid their way with whatever money Michelle could scam. And in Vancouver, Gabrielle met Georges Granger, a wealthy Frenchman, and Granger immediately fell under Gabrielle's spell. Well. Yeah. <laughs> was spell, she dressed spell, as a little well. boy? No, she was a little girl at this point. <laughs> no, she's probably her own age. Okay. <laughs> so, Geringer followed them to San Francisco. Oh, he was smitten. Yeah, and there Michelle had planned to rob him uh, by getting him to invest in a phony cognac distillery. He really likes those cognac mm-hmm. distilleries. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Gabrielle was like going along with it, but then Michelle was like, oh, you guys go east and I'll meet you there. And Gabrielle is like, oh, yes, my aunt, she, uh, I'm going to go meet my aunt and we're going to settle this inheritance. So mm. you come with me. And then when they got there, then, um, then Michelle was going to kill Geringer there. Man, like, why, why didn't, uh, why didn't they just kill him in Canada? Why are they going to, like, make him come all the way They're around? So They're so elaborate. They're so elaborate. Yeah, what is the plan? I don't know. It doesn't make I any don't know. sense. I don't know. But as soon as she was out of Michael Michelle's reach, she warned Geringer, and they ran away together to Canada. Oh, she liked him. And then they went back to Europe. Yeah, because Michelle would, like, beat her up, and it's just, like, a really shitty person. So finally, she, hmm. like, got away, and then she was with, like, this rich dude, and she's like, oh, hey. Do you think that maybe they had him travel so that it would be like, you come to America or you come to the United States with us and then 
it, so it looks like you left your country and you're not found dead there and then you just like disappear in the United States. Well, no, because he no, because he's a European. And then I guess he like he had worked some like in Southeast Asia doing something. But what I think happened was they met him there and then Michelle was like, oh, good. He's like a mark. We're going to get money from him. And then he fell in love with Gabrielle. So they're like, oh, wow, we just string him along for a little. We can get more money out of him. Mm. And they're like, we're going to go to San Francisco. And he's like, oh, I'll go too. And then then he was like, shit. Okay, we got to like, I got to kill this guy and get his money. (laughs) And then Gabrielle was like, fuck off. I'm leaving. Okay. So, So they run away to Canada and then they go to Europe and then Michelle is like waiting in New York mm-hmm. and while he's there he learned that Gorin had identified Gouffe's killers and notified police headquarters around the world Ooh, to shit. be on the and lookout that was pretty fast yeah way faster than he had anticipated so he was certain that Gabrielle planned to go to the French authorities to be like like it wasn't my fault you know and it was all his fault and then he was, like, apparently, like, super jealous that he was, like, discarded by by Michelle. I mean, by Gabrielle. Sorry. Mm. So then Michelle began to write. And on January 16th, Gorin got the first letter that had been postmarked from New York on January 8th, 1890. It was a 20-page letter what? signed by Michelle. Okay. And basically, he just, he wanted to know why he was the object of a worldwide manhunt. Oh. And he admitted that he ran away from Paris, but Mm. not because he had murdered anyone, just Mm. because his financial failures, which Mm -hmm. he blamed on the Jews Uh, and Gabrielle. Well, you know, when all else (laughs) fails, blame the Jews and Gabrielle. Uh, and then Great. he had also suspected that Gabrielle had killed Gouffet, or maybe oh. it was one of her many lovers. And was just trying to set him up. But he would have never murdered his good friend. Of course. So Michelle ended up sending two more letters, one on January 18th and one on the 20th, <laughs> again saying that Gabrielle was the murderer and yeah. he didn't do it. Nope, didn't. Nope. Um, and then on January 22nd, Gorin told Michelle that Gabrielle had actually returned to Paris and turned herself in and blamed it all on him. Mm. So he's like, you better, like, you know, come back and clear your name. So Michelle ended up, he went west. He just went west. He's like, fuck it. I'm like, go on the farthest way I can. (laughs) Okay. But now he was, like, super broke. And he knew that he was, like, everyone was on the lookout for him. Everyone. So he jumped from town to town, staying just long enough to swindle the amount he needed to go to the next place. And then finally he made it down to Mexico. Mm. Hmm. Only to discover that authorities there were also (laughs) in the know. So on one last desperate scramble, he ended up in Cuba. Oh, my God. How is he? At least people like travel around. Is he like hiding in the cargo bays of places? Like, how is he like affording to just go to different countries? He's swindling just enough to get somewhere else. And I guess during that time, they weren't like documenting where you go. Back in the day, yeah, you just like say, "Oh no, my name is this," and they're like, "Oh, all right." Yeah, I'm a I'm a little boy. See, that's my dad up there. I gotta get on this boat. We'll take you at your word. (laughs) So, while he's in. 
Havana, he ran into someone that he didn't expect to ever see there. Uh-oh. It was a European and oh. a former employee of his defunct French distillery. Uh, oh. Um, and then after spotting Michelle and knowing that he was wanted for murder, the employee informed the Cuban authorities. And on May 20th, Cuban police arrested Michelle at a brothel. And within a few weeks, he was on a ship bound for France. They were like, get the fuck out. <laughs> so the trial of Michelle. Elliot. 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 And Gabrielle Bompard lasted just five days from December 16th to the 20th of 1890. Gabrielle pleaded extenuating circumstances. Mm. She said that she acted under the influence of hypnosis. Oh. And back in the day, like, that was, like, such an argument because they had, like, two sides. One being, like, no, it wasn't hypnosis. And another one being, like, it totally was. Mm. Pretty cool. <laughs> Pretty and then, cool. <laughs> <laughs> and then one article said that Michelle didn't put up a defense because he was, like, trying to shield her. But I don't believe that one. And another one said that he he wanted to share, he wanted to make sure that she got the death sentence because he knew he was getting the death sentence. Yeah. So he said he never hypnotized Gabrielle and he was actually a lapdog carrying out her orders. Oh, he was hypnotized. He was hypnotized. <laughs> but at the... The old he's, he hypnotized, she hypnotized defense. Yeah, but at the trial, they, like, apparently witnesses reported that Gabrielle had like this extensive background with hypnotism and her she had like this like ability to fall into a deep sleep during hypnotic seances dating as far back as her childhood okay so she could hypnotize herself no so that she was like really susceptible to it is what they were saying ah yeah okay so they're like obviously she's not the one who did it he did because she's like so susceptible i see and plus, I mean, mention, look at their background. She's like a 20 year old, 21 year old child. And he's yeah. like in his late 40s. Yeah. And she's been like thrown into like schools and convents and all this shit her whole life where she's yeah. just had to follow rules. Yeah. Well, and she's like just like super cute. And like, you know, whenever like this was like a huge story. And so like the like the newspapers would always try and like get a glimpse of her and she'd always like ham it up for like the for the people. And she was like super charming. And so she charmed the jury and she ended up with a sentence of 20 years at Hmm. forced labor. Oh, but she got out in 12 for good behavior. Oh. And then she died in the early 1920s. Oh. And on the morning of February 3rd, 1891, Gorin stood at Michelle's side as the convicted killer, twice refused cognac, was shaved and taken out to... Wait, wait. He was uh, offered cognac? Uh-huh. His last meal. They're <laughs> 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 like, this is justice. You yeah. love it so much. You love that cognac. We got you some um, from your own distillery. So there he was executed by the guillotine. Ooh, choppy, choppy. Uh-huh. And then he was buried. Oh. The end. Okay. Well, I mean, once again, I mean, we both had a case. 
where the perpetrators came up with elaborate plans for zero reason. Like, okay, maybe it was a super nice trunk, and they were like, oh, we'll keep it. Like, it'll be but our what travel is the trunk. Point? Like, you're going to murder him. Why don't you, like, what's with the sheet or the curtain and the pulley? And, like, you're going to strangle him anyway. Might as well just, like, strangle him. Like, why do you got to well, make this whole thing? And then, like, get the tr- got to sew the oil bag, and then the bag leaks, so the trunk is ruined. Well, I didn't think the bag was going to leak. That trunk was their forever trunk. <laughs> Obviously. And, well, like, everything said that he, like, um, that Michelle was, like, this, like, like, bulked up dude. You know, he had, like, the huge arms or whatever, like, the ape man or whatever. And, uh, I don't know. I mean, he's probably, like, I got all this upper body strength. Might as well use it by, like, getting this whole pulley system. But at that point, it'll be easier. I mean, at that point, you just hold onto the rope and just drop to your knees and let your body well, weight then, dangle. Like, who's carrying out this trunk with this other like giant dude stuffed inside of it? And then you're putting it on a train to go somewhere and, else. Like the heat and of it smells bad. like August. Bad enough that you had to leave the trunk. Yeah. What is happening? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Such uh, a plan. I mean, it seems like from what you've told me. The tossed salad and the scrambled egg. A tossed salad, a scrambled egg. He's definitely a tossed salad. He had these these plans and that he kind of dragged her into it and she just kind of went along for the ride. Well, I feel like he kind of took advantage too. I mean, this, obviously, he's like 47, she's 20, just got out of an institution. Like, she's never been, like, loved her whole life. Yeah. She's kind of, like, destitute, and he's like, oh, we can work together. And right. then he, like, beats her and shit, and she's like, okay, this is how it is, I guess. And then her first chance to get away, she does. Yeah, because, I mean, he needs – he is not good-looking, and I'm sure, like, she helped him swindle a lot of people because you just get her to talk to people, and then mm-hmm. he can carry out his pulley system. <laughs> fucking <laughs> moron. <laughs> Know, they had to so fucking elaborate. rent, go to London, get yeah. a handmade train trunk. tickets, taxis, like get a, yeah, ticket to London, put together the this trunk. pulley system. Mm-hmm. This is like what? And they didn't what? even get any like money out of it. Nope. Because he got spooked, he couldn't even open the safe. Like what? A and weird. apparently, it was like a super famous case. Back in the day, everyone was like, well, it's like a worldwide manhunt and the beginning of forensics. Everyone was like super impressed that the one dude like identified the body. Yeah. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Wow. When the other investigator is just like, it's black hair. I don't know. I got to puke. I got to get out of here. (laughs) Whether your hair is black or auburn or tawny or blonde or whatever your hair color is. Or red or pink or purple or blue. You should check out Humblebee's Herbal Shampoo Bars. They come in um, a couple different scents and compositions. Nope, not a composition. Formulas. They come in a variety They have of a really nice chamomile bar that's good for blonde hair because chamomile makes your hair blonder. They have a dark hair one that has sage that will help darken your hair. And they have a citrus one that's just fun. And they're really good. They will moisturize your hair and they won't dry out your scalp. And No, no sulfates or plastic packaging. No SLS or other weird shit. It's all good. 
Check out Humblebee Herbal's totally chemical-free formulas. Check out Humblebee Herbal's website and get your products there. That's humblebeeherbal.com. Use code CRIMINE20 at checkout to get 20% off your first purchase. It's got a really good lather, too. Humblebeeherbal.com. All right, are you ready for some criminy sakes? Mm-hmm. And now for the portion that we like to call criminy sakes, where we tell you silly stories about crime that make you forget the terrible things we just told you. I got this one from katu.com. It comes from Edmond, Oklahoma. Ooh. An 18-year-old, Blakely Sands, was arrested Tuesday night after calling the police in an attempt to get her fake ID back from a bar. (laughs) (laughs) Police in Edmond, Oklahoma, responded to the bar after Sands told them that the bar took her ID and she wanted it back. What does she think is going to (laughs) happen? When the officers arrived at the bar, they retrieved a Texas ID with the name McCammy Queen. Sans told, uh, what? <laughs> Sans told officers she was McCammy Queen, but they didn't believe her. McCammy? McCammy. McCammy Queen. Like, doesn't even look like her? <laughs> yeah. Officers ran the Texas ID license number, and it came back eligible out of Texas to a Robert Sanchez. Like, that was the ID number. The driver's uh, license number on the fake ID. Mm-hmm. Sands told officers that she didn't think she would get that caught. That she was Robert Sanchez. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did I say McCammy? I meant Robert. <laughs> <laughs> Sands was arrested for presenting a false ID with the purpose of misleading officers and taken to Edmond City Jail. She's like, I paid $100 for that ID. <laughs> I, I am like not losing it. <laughs> like, jail. What a dum-dum. What a dum-dum. Here's another dum-dum. This one comes from Tucson.com. But it's uh, takes place in Vista, California. (gasps) Authorities say a man fleeing San Diego County Sheriff's deputies made one big mistake. He tried to escape by climbing into jail. (laughs) (laughs) The San Diego. He's like they'll never find me in here. (laughs) The San Diego Union Tribune says the chase began around 2 a.m. Tuesday after a police officer in Oceanside tried to pull over a Nissan sedan for a minor traffic violation. The car didn't stop, and a chase began into nearby Vista, where sheriff's deputies took over. Authorities say the driver meandered through the city for nearly 20 minutes before pulling into the parking lot of the Vista jail. Authorities say the, uh, the driver got out, ran, and climbed over a fence into the area where prisoners are <laughs> taken for booking. <laughs> They're like, thank you. And that's <laughs> that just so what thoughtful. happened. The 35-year-old man was arrested and booked for resisting and obstructing police. What? He went right to jail. I don't yeah, feel like that's resisting himself. at all. Exactly. He didn't obstruct. He like was like, oh, I got you. Yeah, I know worry. where I'm I kn- going. Yeah, I know where I'm headed. I'll just. I will climb the fence. You don't even have to open it up for me. I'm good. Don't you worry. <laughs> okay, and then I have one more. This one comes from newschannel9.com. And takes place in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Police are charging a man from Chattanooga after they say he forged former President Barack Obama's name on an application for a handgun permit. Chattanooga officers arrested Robert Joseph Halleck on February 11th. He's charged with perjury, forgery, and identity theft. An affidavit obtained 
by new by News Channel 9 says Halleck had been denied a gun permit request using his own name back in November due to an active warrant for his arrest in the state of Michigan. <laughs> the arrest report says Halleck sent another application on January 21st, except this time he used the name President Barack H. Obama instead, including... Like they won't refuse a gun for this guy. Yeah, included along with the form was a $50 check. The report says Halleck application also contained a letter bearing the United States of America seal of <laughs> with the United States Department of State letterhead. It's a violation of state law to forge a person's name on a gun permit application. Uh, yeah. And like impersonating the president, <laughs> I'm sure has its own. Wow. Wow. Wow, indeed. Well, on that note. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in, and we will speak at you again next week. Be good to each other, and check out our sponsor, Humblebee Herbal. And rate, review, subscribe. Yep. See you next week. Goodbye. Okay, goodbye. Slop. You guys eating slop? Yeah, we've been eating lots of slop. This is going to be a problem. <laughs> Stop looking at yourself. It's like ants. <laughs> I am squatting.